Good afternoon, everybody. Happy Monday, July 10, 2023. My name is Jackie, and this is another episode of Memo by Gaia Legal. Uh, last Thursday, Friday, I just I could not record <laughs> because my kids were home all last week from summer camp, and it was okay, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but by the time the end of that week came through, I was like, okay, I'm just going to record at night, but I needed to have some mental decompressed time. So note for next time, plan ahead. However, I am back here on Monday and I want to continue. I don't know where we are right now. It's Monday, July 10th. Let me see what's going on. So <laughs> uh, the sun, why do I have, I have like two? I'm just looking at this chart. I was, this is my first day like back at quote work. I don't, is this even called work? I don't even know what this is. This is just me living my life. So, okay, right now, the sun is at 18 degrees Cancer. So we're still in Cancer 2. And then let's see, 19, 20, Wednesday, 21 is Thursday. Okay, so three more days in Cancer 2. How do we support our people with special needs? So I think I have three days of material left on that. And then for Cancer 3, um, the topic I want to kind of just Put on the podcast, uh, starting with the question, what kind of ancestor do we want to be? And then that will lead us into Leo Virgo, which is going to be about more like traditional estate planning topics, regenerative business, and so on and so forth. So today, um, I want to talk about the IDEA Act on last Wednesday. I went over kind of what are uh, the protections, what are the benefits, of the IDEA Act, which is a federal law that provides different accommodations and such for students with special needs in the school. So just to, just look at my notes here, just to go over it again, um, under federal law, we have the Individuals with Disabilities Education Improvement Act and special education is designed and this can be require a teacher actually go to the home of the student this also includes speech language pathology services, also includes vocational education. Um, there are different types of disabilities and we want to create um, education that may not be the education that we offer to the general population, meaning usually students are, are fit into a bell curve, right? And they have different abilities. This is just a natural process. That's why standardized testing, it works because generally the population based on specific abilities will fit, generally speaking, into a bell curve. There's statistical distributions that just occur in nature, all right? It just, it just is what it is what it is. You can like it, you can hate it, but it is what it is. So um, special education for students that fall outside, kind of like in the bell curve, you have the big middle 50%, they have fall a couple standard deviations either to one side or the other. And part of the special needs benefits are first making sure that there's a lot of criteria, but making sure that we actually have a quote disability and disability is just the term. It's not meant to be pejorative. It's not meant to harm in any sort of way. It's just the term that's in the law. And as a lawyer, we have to just be consistent. So it communicates to other people, like, where are we in the legal, legal framework? And it's just disability is what it is. These laws are passed when people are maybe not as sensitive to the word. So it just is what it is. And we don't want to run it through Congress again, right? Just to, to revise it. So we just understand the intent behind it. And there are different disabilities. And if you fall under one of these disabilities, it kind of opens up 
um, the pathway to receiving different supports in school, which could be for anybody who had accommodations, it could be extended time, it could be taking a test in a separate room by yourself, it could be small group instruction, mandated small group instruction, it could be home instruction, it could be the teacher providing additional assignments, additional opportunities to turn in homework, all of these things, basically customizing the education within the public school system. However, you know, the student, the school does have a duty to find students who are our special needs and they usually do this through testing and such they'll make a recommendation and then the special needs department will go through and evaluate and do ieps and testing and all those things however the parent um, i've worked in high performing public schools quite frankly the parents who are involved and the parents who are on top of the system are the ones who really make sure that their students needs are being met and it's just like a resource issue right it's there's a lot put on public school teachers and administrators and they don't get paid uh, for their value necessarily. So it's just the responsibility lies in the parents. And really we have to remember that the public school is the solution to homeschooling. You're delegating to the government. The government is organizing it for you. And instead of having the kids at your house and hiring nannies or tutors or sending them to a private school, you do have a little bit more responsibility as a parent. So there's lots of uh, disabilities. Let me just see if I can read off the disabilities again just so we know where we are in the framework and again the language is in the statute it's not meant to harm it's not meant to hurt it just is what it is so we know what we're talking about we have 13 categories um, a child with a disability may have one or more of the following conditions so autism deaf blindness developmental delay emotional disturbance hearing impairment mental retardation multiple disabilities orthopedic impairment other health impairment specific learning disabilities, speech and language impairments, traumatic brain injury, visual impairment. So gifted and talented is not a classification under the act. Um, being a gifted child does not represent having a disability. So even though they, they require special education, that's held under a different kind of system. Um, the act requires us to not like leave children behind because usually the gifted children, they're special in the sense that they fall outside the bell curve but sometimes they can just handle it on their own. And if they're a gifted child and their needs are not being met, they're usually going to show up in the quote disabled category, likely with either an emotional disturbance, ADHD or the like. So they will get their needs met. And sometimes in the classroom, like that was a thing that teachers would look out for. Students who would like talk out or like misbehave, a lot of times the students were like actually not being challenged enough so giving them responsibility, helping them, giving them supports for self-directed education um, could remedy that right away without having the parents to get involved and without having to go through the IEP process and so on and so forth. So here we go. What are the eligibility criteria for classification of an emotional disturbance? So in this, with these categories, there's a very close partnership with the medical establishment and the schooling establishment and the legal establishment. It's the three coming together to formulate a plan for this particular student in society, you know, ultimately um, trying to prevent the worst case scenario, which is the school to prison pipeline, which happens in low income schools in upper income schools. In my experience, this is my personal experience it is avoided because many of the parents go to the doctor. They have the time, the resources to take their student to the doctor. They usually get diagnosis of ADHD, they usually end up on some sort of medication, uh, that can sometimes be dealt in <laughs> in the bathrooms, and these are issues in upper income schools, or um, you know, students just I don't know use the 
use the ADHD diagnosis as an excuse to not challenge themselves, which I'm not all, not all, but there are some who just maybe need a little bit more structure and discipline in the classroom or the home, whatever. But here we are, they have the, the diagnosis of ADHD. They have an emotional disturbance sometimes. And these are the eligibility criteria so that you parent stakeholder can invoke the protections of the IDEA Act. So to begin, these eligibility criteria, they're you know, state specific. So these are just generally speaking, you have to consult your state law for specifics and really your local school district because I've worked in many different school districts in the city of Houston and every school district, even though we're in the same culture in the same city, they serve a different population of parents, students, and it just looks different as inter and it is interpreted different from school district to school district. So in order to be eligible for a classification as a student with an emotional disturbance under IDEA, the following standards should be met. So number one, we're looking to see if the student exhibits any of the following. So number one, an inability to learn at the rate commensurate with the student's intellectual, sensory, motor, and physical development. So you see this hugely in the grade, like what does that mean? Um, usually there's assessments that are done by the school psychologist and such. Number two, an inability to build or maintain satisfactory interpersonal relationships with peers and teachers. So like, what does that mean, right? Um, there are some kids who are just loners. There are some kids who just prefer to be by themselves. Um, and how are we looking out for that? So that really requires the teachers to have a good handle on kind of the vibe and the relationships among students, which at some schools, that's just not the case. Like for resources, for lack of paying attention, for whatever, there are a lot of students that fall through the gaps. So this is again, like where parents should also be like communicating with their student at home and being very, very involved. So C, inappropriate types of behavior or feelings under normal circumstances. So again, what does that mean, right? Like what's normal, normal for that school, but maybe your parents did not grow up in that community, so you're an outsider. Your behavior could be normal for a different school, but in that school, it's not normal. Um, could you be <laughs> diagnosed or seen to have a, an emotional disturbance? Uh, number four, a general pervasive mood of unhappiness or depression. Okay, so usually sometimes that's not diagnosed, especially at that young age. They just think, oh, they're being an angsty teenager or they're being moody but it could be an emotional disturbance, meaning that the student would need more time and attention and care individually by a teacher. And then physical symptoms or fears associated with the student's personal or school life. Uh, so, you know, again, there's like this, this duty that teachers have to identify and to know the students in their classroom and to communicate with the parents when they notice something and to document those communications. Ultimately, the parents are responsible for the upbringing of their child but the schools can do what they can to kind of notify parents. And you would think that, oh, like once the, the teacher identifies uh, these students, that they were just, the parents would be like, oh, thank you for noticing. But actually what I found, especially in the upper income schools, is that either the kids already are diagnosed by a medical professional because it's like the in thing to do around the moms, or um, the parents are in denial and they don't want that focus on their students. So you like, as a teacher, you have to know kind of what type of parent you're dealing with. And I always say this, like when I was teaching in a high-performing public school district, usually teachers there are there for a while. Um, they know the culture of the school, they know the type of student coming in, 
So as a newer teacher, and by newer teacher, I mean like a teacher that has five years or less in the district. So even though I taught, you know, I was already year eight of teaching, transferring to a new school district to teach, it's kind of like you're back at year one, year two, because it's a, even though you're still teaching algebra, it's a whole brand new like crop of students and a whole different culture that you have to get um, used to. So, you know, you go always go to the senior teachers who have been there like 15, 20 years, and they will give you the down low on the students and like what you need to do to be successful in that type of environment. And I remember in my final years of teaching, there's a veteran teacher there and he would like go down every year that he taught. And he always said, you know, it's a different year, same students. There's always the outliers, right? Um, different year, same students, different names. And then the second piece of you know, advice or <laughs> observation, he was very intuitive that he would make. He's like, you know, the apple never falls far from the tree. <laughs> when something would happen, we'd be in planning period. And he would just say apple tree. That was like his code word for everything. He was like apple tree. Because... When you see, for example, a student who's struggling in the classroom and the parent is non-responsive, it's just like these are the things that are taught in the home. And this is where a separation of church and state come in, because these are the things that are best dealt outside the school environment in our spiritual um, communities or, you know, where spiritual communities usually implies that the parents are the ones who are taking the lead, like in the public school environment, the public school teachers are taking the lead because they have, quote, you know, the expertise, the subject matter expertise. I have the expertise in mathematics, so I'm there to teach mathematics or English or social studies or whatever have you. So that's kind of like where the separation of church and state um, actually practically, in my experience, uh, plays a role because you have the academic, the skills-based expertise, the hard skill expertise in the public school system. However, in quote weaker or like less high-performing, like from my capitalistic societal view, um, sort of framework, the lower performing places have weaker spiritual institutions, meaning that either the parents are not involved as strongly in the character development of future generations, or if there are churches, they are not as diverse, not um, as well-read, not as inclusive, they're more, I hate to bring up like puritanical, but kind of like, especially in some rural communities, you get people who draw very black and white lines, like who's in and who's out versus I've been to like mega churches in urban centers. And there's like, there's a place for everybody, generally speaking. So, I mean, it is what it is. Um, it's up to teacher. Let's see. I'm trying to see. Right. So that's kind of an emotional disturbance. And I, I bring up, I'm not going to go through all 13 disabilities, but I bring up emotional disturbance in today's episode, because if you have a student in the public school system and you are looking to hold the teacher and the system more accountable for providing them with individualized or other special or unique support, emotional disturbance is kind of that catch all that gray area that you can kind of enter the system in. You know, some of these like deaf, blind, those are very clear cut, but emotional disturbance is one, especially if they do not come in with a diagnosis of ADHD already, because to diagnose with ADHD, there's also like a lot of criteria. So there's groups of students who don't necessarily receive a diagnosis of ADHD, but still need some special support in the public school system 
an emotional disturbance, if you collect your data, it can be the thing, um, the disability to bring them in and to um, build the framework for that support. So that's all I have for today's episode. This is Monday, July 10th. We have two more days, Tuesday, Wednesday. So I think my gut says to perhaps talk um, about ADHD specifically in the public school system. And then I think also the IEP, like what is an IEP? This is a legal document that is legally binding on the school system. And if there's a breach, it's a contract between the school and the parent. If there's a breach, there are remedies available. So it's one of the few places in education law that we can hold the school responsible for the quality of education. So I think that will be it for Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we will go into Cancer 3. What kind of ancestor do you want to be transitioning into Leo? We're talking about, you know, different types of community systems, maybe different types of families. We may put that back into Leo, Virgo, but it's kind of where I'm headed. So thank you all for tuning in today. I hope you all had a great weekend and I will see you tomorrow.